Normally, a chov, a debt obligation, ends, is erased, when it is paid off. In this year, we discussed a number of other ways in which a chov can be erased. We have Shemitah Tzitafi. The Torah says, Shemitah erases debts. However, this halacha is of limited practical ramifications, at least in Chutzl for several reasons. First, because the Minog in Ashkenaz, in the Seor of Ashkenaz, is that Shemitah's Ksafim does not apply at least in Chutzl There's considerable debate and discussion since the time of the Rush about exactly why, but Halach Lamaisa, post can say, is that Shemitah's Ksafim does not apply in Chutzl Even though we write prosbols, Ramosha Feinstein says that's a Midas Chasidus, to be Choshesh for the opinions that it does apply, but Meikar Adin, the halacha is, according to many posts, Kim of Ashkenaz, that Shemitah's Ksafim does not apply in Chutzlarat Bismanazet. Furthermore, of course, we have the option of writing a prosbol. Since Hillel instituted prosbol, prosbols are quite easy to quite easy to arrange, and anybody who has a significant debt very likely would write a prosbol. So in practice, at least Bismanazet, at least for Ashkenazim and Chutzlarat, prosbol, or even for Sardim, if they write a prosbol, so pra- practically, Shemitah's Ksafim doesn't uh, interfere with the ordinary course of business, of debts, all that much. A number of other ways in which debts can be erased. There is Mechila. A person can waive a debt. A person can forgive a debt. The Malbec can say he forgives the debt. This is uncontroversial. Mechila is a mechanism that works according to all poskim. There is, however, debate as to how the Mechila has to be done. Normally, mechila can be a mere verbal declaration. A person says, I hereby waive the debt. I mochel the debt. <coughs> the debt is erased. There is a machlokas aposkin, rishonim and achronim, whether if a debt has a loan document associated with it, a shnarchov, whether that debt can be erased by a mere verbal declaration without a kenyan, or whether since it's a shnarchov, the debt is only erased if the shnarchov is returned, or if the mechila is done with a kenyan, so that's machlokas, but an ordinary debt without a loan document can be erased by a simple verbal declaration without a kidney. There is even a major machlokas achronim, whether a mental declaration can suffice to erase a debt. If a person thinks in his head, I am mochel the debt, does that work? That is a major machlokas achronim. Some achronim say, since we have a principle, dvarim shebelev, lo havidvarim, that ordinarily things that you think don't count, only things that you verbally express or express in writing, certainly, but even verbally express, only those things work. Things that you merely think in your head are dvarm shebelev lo avidvarm, so mechila belev doesn't work. Other posts can say that a mechila belev, that anything belev that's not contradicted by something you say, if you say one thing and you think otherwise in your head, that's dvarm shebelev lo avidvarm. But if a person thinks mechila and that is not contradicted by anything he states explicitly, some posts can say that that mechila would work. So that is a major machlof sachronim. This actually has major ramifications. Obviously, if the malva, if the creditor, doesn't admit he was mochel and it was only believed, you're going to have a hard time proving it. But very often, you have an honest malva, he admits he was mochel. So certainly, certainly if he admits that he was explicitly mochel, believed, that becomes a major machlof sachronim. And if the lova is muchsuk, he might very well be able to say kimli, that the halach is on his side, that, that he follows the view that Mechila worked, and it would be difficult to make him pay back the debt. 
practical question often is, what's called mechila? Very often the person says, he's having a hard time now, I'll, I'll forget the debt for a while, I won't bother him right now, he, he doesn't actually waive the debt. So very often it can be difficult to establish exactly whether the, the mental, the thought process of the malva actually constitutes mechila or not. But if he had a clear, unequivocal mechila, even though it was believed, that is a major machlok sakranim. Many achronim say it does not work with varm shabalev, lavidvarim, but there is an opinion in the poskim that even a mechila belev is sufficient to erase a debt. There's also a major machlokis about yeish. The halacha is, in certain contexts, aveda, for example, lost property. If the owner, while the aveda is lost, he says, kiss, I'm never going to find it again. He gives up hope, he's miyayish on finding it. Then finders keepers, whoever finds the aveda, may keep it assuming that the Yeish occurred before the person found the Aveda. The, if, if the person, once the person finds it, then it's too late, Yeish no longer works. Yeish works in certain cases in, in, in context of theft, of Gzela and Gneva. So there is a major machlokas aposkim, beginning with the tshuva of the Marik, as to whether Yeish works with regard to a chov. If the creditor, if the holder of the debt is miyayish on collecting it, he writes off the debt as a bad debt. He says, we're never going to get it back. It's, uh, it's hopeless. We're not going to collect this debt. He wasn't mochel. He just expressed his feeling, his opinion, that he's never going to get it back. Does that constitute, that's yeish, does, does that erase the debt? So that is a, that is a machlok zaposki. The marik rules that yeish works. He brings a tshuva of a rabbi ben yamin. The yeish does not work. And the marik says, it depends what kind of yeish. If it's a situation where yeish is not necessarily warranted, and without hearing an explicit yeish by the creditor, we wouldn't assume yeish. Then the Marik says, that's where Rebbe Minyamin says yeish b'chov doesn't work. But in a case where yeish is presumed, where we typically would assume that a person in this situation, of the, in this context of the debt, a person would be miyayish, just like Aved, the has many circumstances in, in which we assume yeish by default. So here too, in cases of chov, where, we, where the debt is uh, clearly bad, and a person typically would be miyayish, the Maharik says, Maharik says that Yeish works, and the Tzavsachoshin sides with the Maharik. Others disagree, the Chachan Tzvi, and the Nesivas Mishpat and other poskim reject the Maharik. They say that no Yeish ever works uh, in the context of a debt, that uh, the, they argue that when it comes to, when it comes to things like Aveda, as we mentioned earlier, it depends whether the Yeish occurred before or after someone found the Aveda. Once the Motzi Aveda, the finder, picks up the Aveda, at that point, the Yish doesn't work, because since the person who found the Aveda has an obligation to return it, that obligation prevents the Yish from kicking in. He's bound to return it, and Yish no longer take effect. So the Chachan Tzvi argues, since the Lova, the debtor, by definition, has an obligation to repay the debt, which commences as soon as the debt is made, as soon as the loan is made, therefore Yish can never work. So the Chachan Tzvi, followed by the Nesivas, says that Yeish simply does not work in any context for a debt. Tzavsachoshin, however, disagrees. Tzavsachoshin defends the Marik and says that Yeish does work for a debt. It's different from the case of Aveda. So this is uh, also a major machlok sacronim, whether Yeish works in the Yeish works to cancel debts. Statutes of limitations. In modern law, there are often statutes of limitations. They vary for different kinds of obligations, for debts in terms of loans, other obligations, both in civil and criminal cases, but even in civil cases, there are statutes of limitations that after a certain amount of time, if a debt is not pursued, then the debt it can no longer be pursued. The debt, then you forfeit the debt. 
So what about halacha? Does halacha have any notion of a statute of limitations? So native halacha does not. Halacha itself contains no notion of statute of limitations. The closest thing we have perhaps is Shemitah, Shemitah's Ksafim, we mentioned earlier, every seventh year, death, sorry, race. But as we mentioned, that is of limited, that's of limited practical significance for the reasons we mentioned earlier. Furthermore, the halacha is a person can stipulate when he makes a loan, the, the borrower, the lender can stipulate in the loan document, the loan agreement, that Shemitah, that they will not apply Shemitah to this debt. It depends exactly how you state it. But so assuming you use the right formulation, that we will not apply Shemitah to this debt, that works. So, 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 so in any event, the, uh, the, the, there is no statute of limitations in native halacha. Shemitah Tzafim doesn't apply commonly for a variety of reasons. In Ashkenaz it doesn't apply. According to Ashkenaz it doesn't apply. Prusbal is easy. You can anyway stipulate in the loan documents, in the loan agreement, that Shemitah Tzafim shouldn't apply. The Gemara does say that if an almana, if a widow, is not, to, is not tovah, she doesn't demand payment for a tzuva for 25 years, there's an implicit uh, mechila. That's only, that only applies to almana and a tzuva. That's a very limited rule. It doesn't, it's not a statute of limitations in general. That halacha also is not, is not really a statute of limitations per se. That's really a rule that we have implicit mechila. And that rule that we have implicit mechila, that's actually the source for some of the poskim that an unspoken mechila works. They say just like an almana who does nothing but simply refrains from asking for a ksuva for 25 years is presumed to have forgiven the debt. So you see a nonverbal mechila works. So any nonverbal mechila works. Other poskim say no. Normally that would be dvar shabalev. The reason the widow's failure to demand payment of ksuva works is because it's an umdana. It's clear. If she waits so long, 25 years, it's an umdana. Alibo v'leif kaladam. Her thought process is transparent, so that's why it works. But either way, that's not really a statute of limitations. That's simply a presumptive mechila, which works. So halacha does not have any intrinsic, any inherent notion of a statute of limitations. You can go for years, for decades. As long as you weren't mochel and you weren't miyayish, you can go for 50 years and then come back and collect the debt, and the debt remains, remains intact, remains collectible. The question, of course, is whether halacha would incorporate secular law statutes of limitations via mechanisms such as din Adina, mechanisms such as minag, either the din Adina that halacha recognizes the law of the land as binding on Jews, or the question of minhag, the idea that the prevailing custom sometimes becomes binding. We'll discuss both these mechanisms in more detail soon in the context of bankruptcy, but Pisechoshen. This question raises the question of whether, of whether Minhag or Dina Malchusadina could serve to validate, to, to render secular statute of limitations binding among Jews. He's inclined to the view that they do not. He's inclined to the view that they don't in the context of bankruptcy law either, as we'll discuss soon. But I haven't seen many posts can discuss this, but, that, but as we'll see, when it comes to bankruptcy, there is some debate about this, so maybe with regard to statute of limitations as well. But in any event, Pesachoshin is the one discussion of statutes of limitations of which I'm aware. And he said, certainly it's clear that Halacha has no inherent notion of a statute of limitations. And he's skeptical that Halacha would recognize them under mechanisms such as Minhag or Dinamachusadim. One of the most controversial questions about how a debt can be erased is the question of bankruptcy law. In modern bankruptcy law, a person, an insolvent debtor, can file for bankruptcy discharge. 
can file with the courts if he's bankrupt, he has insufficient assets to satisfy his outstanding obligations, and assuming certain criteria are met, the court will accept that, they'll seize his non-exempt assets, and they'll transfer them to the creditors, they'll have to take some fraction of their, of their debts, the rest of the debts are considered discharged, they, they no longer exist, even if, the, even if the debtor later comes into possession of more assets, doesn't matter, he has a fresh start, he has, might hurt his credit rating, but he no longer owes those obligations. That's modern bankruptcy law. So the question is, does halacha have any intrinsic notion of bankruptcy? Does halacha recognize secular bankruptcy law? But certainly halacha has no intrinsic notion of bankruptcy. Again, we discussed Shemitah Sifafim, but, uh, but again, that's limited. That's not a general notion of bankruptcy. Halacha certainly has no internal mechanism of bankruptcy. The question is, does halacha recognize secular bankruptcy law under mechanisms such as minhag, the idea that the prevailing custom becomes binding in, in, in business dealings between Jews, and in Mulchusadina, the principle that the local prevailing law is binding under the Talmudic rule of Din Mulchusadina. So both these, both these mechanisms are discussed in the context of bankruptcy law. The question of minhag actually goes back some four or five hundred years, to the time of the Marshach, Rabbi Shlomo Cohen, one of the great Sardic posts, came from nearly 500 years ago. The question of bankruptcy law from the perspective of Dina Mochusadina is discussed more recently in the past century or so. So bankruptcy law, bankruptcy custom, from the perspective of Minhag, was discussed extensively for centuries by the Sardic post The Marshach has several chuvas in which he says that certain arrangements, they weren't exactly the same as modern bankruptcy law, but certain arrangements by which an insolvent debtor would be given additional time to pay back the debts, he'd be given a schedule of payments. If a majority of creditors agreed to this procedure, it became binding, even on the minority of dissenting creditors. So it wasn't exactly modern bankruptcy, but it was also a system by which the creditors' rights were, were cancelled without necessarily their assent. Even if certain creditors didn't agree, some of their rights, their right to get paid immediately when the loan was due, would, would, be, uh, would be denied, would be, would be dismissed. So the question is, is that valid? Halacha has no such notion. Halacha says a person can't pay, you take all his property. Misadrin, misadrin, l'bacho, he keeps certain personal assets, certain business assets, but other than that, you take everything he has. So the question is, would Halacha recognize these commercial customs as valid? The Marshach said yes. The Marshach and many poskim who followed in his footsteps, many Sephardic poskim over the next several centuries, said that, yes, we follow the minhag. Minhag is a powerful rule in halacha. Commercial dealings are regulated by minhag. If that's the minhag, even if that was a minhag that began among the non-Jews, post can say, but if that's the minhag, then that becomes binding upon Jews as well. And this was the opinion, as we've said, of many Sephardic post over the next several centuries. However, as we noted earlier, Marshak wasn't talking about a complete discharge by which the debtor is completely free permanently from some of his obligations. He was talking about a schedule of payments by which the credit by which the debtor could hold on to some of his assets and not turn them over to the creditors immediately. He wasn't talking about an outright discharge. He didn't say one way or another. He didn't say whether Minhag would work in such a case or whether it wouldn't work. Uh, several hundred years later, about 150 years ago, we find considerable dispute over this point among the great Sardim of of uh, 150 years ago or so. Some postkim said, "Of course it does. Why not?" Whether or not the Minog extended that far in the Rashach's time to a complete discharge is maybe not entirely clear. But today they said there is such a Minog. The Minog is, and in certain cases, creditors have to agree to accept a certain percentage of their debts. 
a certain, a certain number of cents on the dollar, so to speak, and the rest they have to just give up. That is the minhag, they said, in their time, in their place, and that is binding, even though the Marshach didn't talk about that. Minhag can certainly do that as well. Minhag has the power to do that. And therefore, a number of poskim, a number of poskim, a number of Spartak poskim rules, and Minhag can do that as well. There is a tshuva in the Chikri Leib from about 200 years ago. He said that Marshach was not talking about a discharge, he was just talking about a payment schedule. But some of the Chikri Leib's own children said, yeah, the Chikri Leib, uh, maybe that's true, the Marshach wasn't talking about that. And maybe in the Chikri Leib's time, that was not the Minhag, but if that would be the Minhag, even the Chikri Leib would agree, they say, that the Minhag would work for that as well, because Minhag, that's, that's, that is within the power of Minhag. If there is a clear Minhag to that effect, that some of the that loans are discharged in certain bankruptcy-like context, then Minhag would work for that as well. On the other hand, there was some postman who disagreed. Some postman felt a Minhag can't go that far. There is such a thing as a Minhag garua, a Minhag to uh, a Minhag which is unjust and deprives somebody of property unfairly, is, uh, is we don't accept. Rechaim Palaji, a grandson of the Fikri Lev, was of this opinion. He said, even if there would be such a minute, he says, a minute to steal, a minute to be okay to Torah, to uproot to Torah, a minute to be overall to Torah, a minute that just runs roughshod over private property, that, that uh, condones Xela, he says, telling a debtor he doesn't have to pay back the debt, even if he gets money in the future, that's outright Xela. Again, every minute to some extent in Choshen Mishpat, overrides private property rights, but it's one thing he says to delay payment, have a payment schedule, and so on, but to actually just erase a debt permanently, even if he comes into money, Chaim Palaji says that's unthinkable, it's Gzela, and he can't have a minog that does it. When it comes to applying Din Mulchusadina, for some reason these earlier Sfardim don't discuss Din Mulchusadina, but that was discussed by a number of Ashkenazi poskim in the past century. There is a major dispute among the postkim as to whether modern secular bankruptcy law should be recognized under Dina Mochusadina. Ramosha Feinstein has a tshuva where he says that it is. He says that much of the debate hinges around the broad and general debate. What is the scope of Dina Mochusadina? How far do we go? All the postkim say that doesn't mean that we just go to law school and read the law books and close the Gemara and Shulchan Aruch and ignore halacha. There has to be some kind of limit. But the question is, where is that limit? Many posts can confess that the, the halacha is very murky, very, very unclear. But the, there is a, the, the, one of the broadest interpretations of Din Malchusadina is the one mentioned by the Ramah, that it doesn't have to be the direct interest of the government. Anything doesn't have to be limited. It's not limited to taxation and currency, which are the government prerogatives. The Ramah takes a very expansive view and says anything which is for the general good of society, Takanas Bnei Medina, Dinan Malchusa is valid, is binding, even if there's no direct governmental interest. So according to the Ramaz, some postkim argued that bankruptcy law would, would qualify. It's for the Takanas Bnei Medina. It's that there are a variety of reasons why academics and legislators have argued bankruptcy is a good idea. It, uh, it, it, the, the primary reason, obviously, is that it gives, the, it gives the debtor a chance to dig himself out of a hole and start anew instead of being constantly burdened for the rest of his life by debts. It's even good for the creditors, maybe, because if they just keep pursuing every dollar he has, they'll never get any more money. It's, uh, it, he's just stuck in a trap. This way, this way, the, this way the, the person himself will get more money, but the, the creditors will be careful how they allocate credit. It's good for society in general because the, because, the, because the debtors will be able to become productive members of society. It'll prevent them from becoming engaged in criminal acts. So it's better all around. It's better, maybe it's not better for the creditor who's losing money right now, 
but otherwise they generally hide his assets and so on. This is a procedure society believes is healthy for much of society, for society as a whole. The Sampostium, notably Ramosha Feinstein, felt that it would be included under the rubric of Dean Maltwisadina. Ramosha wasn't necessarily talking about a complete discharge, he was talking about various arrangements for the repayments of debts that might be different from Dintara, but Ramosha's general argument that it's for the good of society might very well apply even to a bankruptcy discharge. A number of other postkim of the last century, however, reject this and take for granted, either explicitly or implicitly, that Dina Malchusadina cannot serve to legitimize bankruptcy discharges. Bethelkis Yaakov, Rav Yaakov Reich, talks about bankruptcy, he discusses Dina Malchusadina at some length and says that there are many different shittas, as we discussed, and even according to the broadest shita of the Ramah, he says it has to be something just for the benefit of society. He just dismisses this out of hand, similar to Rechaim Palaji, he just says that this is just not, this is just gzela, this is just unfair, that even if Lovic gets more money, even if the debtor gets assets in the future, he shouldn't have to pay, pay back the debt. What, what, what's the fairness of that? What's the logic of that, he says? He, does, he doesn't really explain, but he just doesn't see any benefit to this, he says. It's just not fair, and it's wrong, and therefore, he says, Din Mochusedina would not uh, encompass such a thing. Similarly, Mechaz Yitzchak, or Yitzchak Weiss, has a very brief tshuva, actually, actually to the same questioner of Rav Shalom Yecheskel Ruben Halberstam, who asked the same question to both of them, apparently, and Rav Weiss has a very brief tshuva, he just kind of dismisses out of hand the notion that there's any halachic acceptance of bankruptcy, bankruptcy rules, his only discussion is whether the, whether the debtor, whether, whether the creditor, a creditor who didn't participate, and the law was, if he doesn't, if he doesn't explicitly protest, he automatically signs on to whatever arrangement uh, the court devises. So the, the question was, he hadn't protested. He said he didn't protest because he wanted to give the debtor a chance to avoid some of his other creditors. He didn't want to interfere with his bankruptcy, but he wasn't really mostly the debt. Rav Weiss just says, to say that if a person doesn't protest the bankruptcy, he forfeits his debt, is completely against Torah. He brings some earlier postgame of Arsham and Amaril, who seem to say this. Marsham and some of the earlier postgame who seem to say this. Maram Lublin, who seem to say such a thing that, 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 that you can't just... Uh, you can't just create, uh, you can't just erase a debt by saying you didn't protest. So Menachetzik also seems to take for granted that there's no Dinan al to just erase a debt uh, based on modern law. So these, the Pesachoshin as well, says that he, he's skeptical that Dinan al would apply, there's no government benefit. He doesn't really address the fact that the Ramah seems to apply Dinan al even when there's no government benefit. But he also inclines to the view that we don't see Dinan al with regard to bankruptcy law. So Ramosha seems to say that we do. He wasn't discussing a discharge, but Ramosha seems to feel that we do. Rav Reich, Rav Weiss, the Pesachoshan say that we don't. However, more recently, Rav Asher Weiss has a long tshuva on bankruptcy, and he feels that we do. He begins by explaining the, the logic, the Hagyon Musari. He says why it's logical that, that if a person is genuinely declaring bankruptcy, there are strict rules to prevent its abuse. He, gen he genuinely can't afford to pay back his debts. It's to nobody's interest to just uh, squeeze out every penny from him and to, and to put him in this hole forever. The creditor is not going to gain anything by this. He doesn't have the money. He doesn't have the money. So what are we, what are we going to accomplish by just preventing him from ever becoming an economically productive person, he says. So it's very logical, he says. Ravasher then proceeds to discuss all the various shittas of Yimel Fusadina. He's inclined to the view that, I guess, typically for Ravasher, it makes sense. It's logical that something which has a Hagyon Musari, which is logical, He's inclined to the view that we would say Din Malchusadin on it. Even though it's true, he says, some of the earlier Achronim just dismissed the notion of a, of a discharge based on the law out of hand, he says, 
They were talking, we have to say, they were talking about cases where it was not just, it was not fair, it was arbitrary to, just, to erase the debt. He's, Rav Usher says, classic for him, something which is widely agreed upon by modern governments, he says, it's something which is generally considered rational by, by reasonable modern governments, he says. It's not, it, he says, it's unreasonable to say all that is just Gzela and Hamas, he says, something which has the support of modern society, he says, is widespread support. He says it's unreasonable to just call that Gzela. The earlier post game must have been talking about less reasonable forms of discharges. So Russia himself is inclined to the view that Dina Malchusadina would legitimize modern bankruptcy. He also discusses Minuk. He goes back and forth on Minuk. He brings some of the earlier Sardic post But he is inclined to the view that with regard to Dina Malchusadina in particular, that would legitimize modern bankruptcy. Although he brings, he does bring as far at the end, a similar point is quoted in the name of Russia Heinemann, that uh, both in terms of the law and in terms of the minute, he says, the context might matter. Bankruptcy law, he says, primarily was intended to cover commercial loans, business investments, and so on, he says. It's uh, a, personal, a personal loan between people. There's an expectation that the people will behave with honor and try to pay back the debt. So various contemporary posts can make this point as well, certainly for dealing with Minog, and even in terms of the law, Ravasha says, we have to look at the context. If the context was a business-like context where the parties enter the arrangement using, uh, with expectation that business-like norms will govern, then they do govern. And that's what the law intended, that, that bankruptcy should apply in those cases. But in cases where that are less uh, business-like and formal and more personal, then Ravasher, as well as other contemporary posts, can suggest there's more of an argument to say the law wasn't really intended for those cases, he assumes, and certainly if we're talking about Minogium, there might be less of a presumption by the parties that, Minog, that uh, they would apply bankruptcy law in such cases. There, post are more reluctant to say that bankruptcy law will be binding between Jews.